Inspiration Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. This is going to be a situation, and it's a, it's a hint. It says, whether he comes in the second watch, there's our watch, there's one of our night watches, or even in the third watch, there's three watches of the night, and finds them so blessed are those slaves. Finds them so what? Alert. He says, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not think he will. So twice he uses hour. He says he's coming at an hour. And so it's up to us to figure out from the context, is he talking about a little literal hour? Is he talking about an appointed time in general? Is he talking about a particular month? Because we went over the months last week. Is he talking about a temple hour? Well, we're not really sure, but we can look in the context and say, hey, wait a minute, this hour he's talking about, it's in the context of the watches of the night. The watches of the night. So if we want to understand this hour when he returns, then we we flip back and we say, okay, let's go look up the watches of the night. And when you do that, when you when you start looking up the night watches in scripture, you'll build a beautiful notebook of notes about things that can happen, say, about midnight or in the night watch, like the story of Gideon. The it's going to be changing the changing of the night watch when Gideon attacks the Midianite army, because he knows they're vulnerable there at the changing of the watch. Because when that new watch comes on in the second watch, they're not quite in place to really know what's going on yet. So that's when they pounce. Uh, But what's interesting here is Yeshua does not even mention the first watch, that he might come in the first watch. Doesn't mention it. And we know that Yeshua doesn't use random words. He doesn't leave out words by accident. If he, it seems like he's leaving something out of a list, it's probably left out on purpose so that we'll notice that it's absent. Because sometimes the absence of something is just as important as the presence of something. So we have an assumption here that he would not return in the first watch of the night. But he says, you need to be on the alert because I could come in the second, even in the third. And he even compares it to being alert to the point, like he knows that we're going to know the time. Even we, we may not think we know. We may not think he's coming at that appointed time. But nevertheless, he says, you will know that appointed time. How will we know that appointed time? But we don't think he's coming at that appointed time. It's because he's already educated us. He has already rehearsed us according to that time that he is coming, even though perhaps we didn't associate that particular hour with the hour we thought he would be coming. Yes, we see there's significance to this hour that we said, okay, there's that significance, but that's not when he's coming back. He's coming back over here. And he says, don't get in that mindset. Because if you don't think I'm coming back to this time, you might drop your, your alertness. You might drop your vigilance. And so you might not be paying attention back here at this hour when I've been rehearsing you all along. I've been preparing you all along. You've been practicing at this hour all along. And because you didn't think I would come back until then, you kind of fell down on the job over here. You fell asleep. What did the disciples do in the garden when they were coming to arrest Yeshua? They fell asleep. And Yeshua says, if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. If I told you right now, wherever you live, that tomorrow 
at exactly 3.30 p.m., a thief would be arriving at your house to break into it. No question about it. This is going to happen. I have inside information. Well, if you knew that to be true, you would be home at 3.30 p.m., and you would probably have a sheriff's deputy sitting in your driveway, and you would not allow your house to be broken into because you would know it was coming. So he says, be ready just like that. Don't let your guard down because in a sense, we will know what hour, even though we don't think it will be that hour. We're going to be prepared anyway. And this is what's important because we can look at this passage and we can connect this time to a particular hour. We can connect this time to something that occurs in the hour or the month, remember last week, or the month, of, it's called Nisan, it's called Aviv, it's just called the first month, but it's the month of Passover. Most people are not expecting Yeshua to come at Passover, but they rehearse Passover. Yeshua said, keep doing this, do this in remembrance of me, don't stop. Paul said, keep doing this. Let us keep the Passover. Remember how he hurried back to get back to Jerusalem during the days of unleavened bread? Why were they still emphasizing these feasts when supposedly it had already been fulfilled? Because they were remaining alert. Even though Paul teaches the return at the Feast of Trumpets in the fall in the seventh month, he knows there is a significant rehearsal yet at Passover. We don't fall asleep at Passover. In fact, part of the fun of Passover is keeping the kids awake and even the adults awake sometimes. As, as the evening wears on, we tend to get sleepy, especially after the meal. Our bell, bellies get a little full. We want to drop off to sleep. And, you know, in Persia, Iran, you know, 100 years or so ago, that was part of the Passover Seder. They knew that the kids would be falling asleep, especially after they ate. And so they, with the afikoman, they would take the afikoman and they would tie it on the back of the youngest kid. And so, you know, the other kids are constantly trying to get the afikoman from the younger kid. What is that doing? It's kind of a game. It keeps them awake. It's keeping them alert. And that's what you do at a Passover Seder. You, you play little games like that to make sure everybody stays alert. And it might feel playful, but it's not playful at all because you're remaining alert. Like Yeshua said, couldn't you pray an hour? <laughs> um, and remember, the, the Passover, it needs to be eaten before midnight. Now, technically, you could eat it all the way into the third watch of the night. But once the sun came up, it was too late. You, you couldn't eat the Passover. It had to be burned. And so in order to prevent any sort of interference, the, the sages said, we're going to get the Passover lamb eaten before midnight. Because what's going to happen at midnight? Remember the plague of the firstborn at about midnight. So you want to get that lamb eaten before midnight. You don't want to leave it over and, and leave it, leave a question mark for the second watch. You don't want to leave a question mark for the third watch. And then all of a sudden, maybe you fell asleep and you woke up and, uh-oh, the light is broken and you didn't finish the Passover lamb. It's the same thing with the Shema. You want to say the evening Shema, if you can, in the first watch of the night, which the first watch of the night is typically from the time of sundown until about midnight. It depends on the length of the night, and then you divide it into three segments. So it may not be exactly midnight. If you go, if you look in scripture and just keep looking at midnight or about midnight, you'll see a lot of significant things happening because that concludes the first watch of the night. This is when you want to complete the saying, the commandment of the Shema, if it's Passover, this is when you want to eat the lamb. You want to have it finished by midnight. Don't leave it over to the second. Don't leave it over to the third because you're getting into shady territory. Something could happen. You could fall asleep. Uh, you could have an emergency. 
any sort of thing could happen that might prevent you from fulfilling that commandment if you leave it over to the second or the third. So the assumption is, no, he's not going to come in the first watch of the night. That's when you're completing your commandment. That's when you're observing the Pesach. That's when you're saying the evening Shema. And they're saying, don't leave those commandments over to the second and the third watch. Do them quickly, because if the sun comes up, it'll be too late. Because it's time-bound. When you, when you encounter a time-bound commandment, the time might be past that you can fulfill that particular commandment. Now, here's the, the interesting thing about Pesach. There is something called a Pesach Sheni, or second Pesach, under certain conditions. If you were on a long journey, if you were unclean because of a corpse, if you had a legitimate reason for missing the first Passover, you could observe it exactly one month later. So that's good news because it may be at some future date, there will be people who realize they missed the first Passover. They thought because they were saved, they were cool. They kind of fell asleep. But something could happen in that second or third watch of the night or just as the day breaks, and they will realize they should have observed the Passover. They should have affirmed the Holy One with the greatest commandment. They should have loved him. They should have heard him and loved him with all their heart, their soul, strength, the one whom their soul loves. And if they were to realize I was unclean because of a corpse, I mean, I had some deathly thoughts. I had thoughts that were contrary to the life of the word. And I was unclean because I was a walking corpse. But I see my mistake. And one month later, I'm going to be ready. And I'm going to complete this, this commandment. I'm going to try to get it done in the first watch of the night. I'm not going to leave it over to the second or to the third. And you see the mercy in that? There is so much grace in our Father. But he, Yeshua is warning us, don't do that. Don't delay. Don't be stubborn. Don't be sleepy. Don't be spiritually sleepy. Because if you're spiritually sleepy, you're going to let some stuff slide. And you think, well, uh, you know, I'll be ready on this day. Well, you may not, because slides tend to self-perpetuate and get steeper. <laughs> Once you decide to start sliding, have you, I don't know, when you were a kid, did you ever decide you didn't want to go down the slide halfway down it? Not so easy to stop, is it? I mean, you you don't see if if you're on a let's say a, a roller coaster ride, it's not a good thing. If the roller coaster stops halfway down that, that steep plunge, is it? So we want to uh, not do that. <laughs> we want to make sure we're moving with the momentum of the watches. So we've got the, the watches of the night. They're very similar to the temple days. It's just that there's a different division where there's three watches of the night. There's 12 uh, divisions of the hours in a temple day, right? It doesn't make, it's not going to be a, a literal, rarely will it ever be a 60 minute hour. Remember, because it's just 12 segments divided among the hours of daylight, right? I know arbitrarily Christian authors will assign specific hours. I'm like, that's oversimplification, but you can do that for the sake of study and say, well, about this hour would be you know, from sundown until midnight, that approximate time period, yeah, that's the first watch of the night. And then you take from about midnight until sunup, divide it in two, and you've got the second watch and the third watch. But these watches are important, number one, because Yeshua said, <laughs> second and third watch of the night, be alert. But also understanding the temple activities that occurred at the changing of the watches. Right. So as we're listening for his footsteps approaching, we don't want to be ignorant of the night watches. And so we want to be, you know, not just taking for granted that we're cool because we're saved, that Passover is just for fun now. It's not just for fun. It's for prophecy now. It's always been for prophecy and it will be for prophecy until Yeshua comes. And I'm not even sure that after Yeshua comes, it does not still continue to have a significance to us that we have yet to see or even be able to understand uh, until we 
we cross over with him until we have a resurrected body that can take in the the true spiritual significance of Passover that we're commemorating in the physical realm. Right? Here's a or the seventh hour. And remember last week we looked at these charts of the hours as month. And, and what you saw is the first month is, of course, in the month of Passover. But on the civil calendar, it's the seventh month. The first month is the seventh month. If we slide down to the seventh month on the biblical calendar, and but then we look over at the civil calendar, which has more to do with the years proclaiming the Jubilee, which was in this week's Torah portion, right? You, you don't blow for the, the Shemitah year or the Jubilee year in the first month, which is Nisan or Abib, you blow in the seventh month, but it's going to be the first one on that civil calendar because it's pertaining more to the years of action than to the months of action. So the seventh month is also the first month. So it doesn't matter if you look at the first month or the seventh month, the opposite number is going to be one or seven because they, they run side by side. There's things that are happening in spiritual realms side by side at those hours. And that's why I say don't discount Passover as a possible time of Yeshua's return. It may be that it's true. Yeshua will come in the seventh month, but he may also come in the first month. You say, well, you got to decide. No, you don't. Not in scripture. Because just the way that the calendar is set up with months and years, it might be that one is very similar to the other. If you're alert in the seventh month, chances are you're also going to be alert in the first month and vice versa. But we want to be alert in the first month and the month of Passover, because if we're alert in the month of Passover, whatever else may be going on, whatever gates we're going through or doors we're going through in spiritual realms at the Passover, we're probably going to stay on that track all the way to the seventh month. And then some, we'll talk about what is the difference? Why, what does it matter if we're gathered at, at Passover, whether we're gathered at the Feast of Trumpets? It has something to do with your spiritual preparation, which is exactly what Yeshua said. You be ready. Don't you dare wait till the Feast of Trumpets to be on the alert. Okay. Now, here's an example. Remember when Joshua and the Israelites cross over the Jordan, and the first city that they approach is going to be Jericho. Jericho. And they approach it. Of course, they have to be circumcised and they're going to celebrate the Passover. The next day, they're going to eat some of the, the grain of the land, which again is built into the Passover commandment. And so we know that the, the setting, at least, of conquering Jericho is during the time of unleavened bread or Passover. Now, look at the language here in Joshua 6 5. It says, It shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, and, I, and this should be the yovel, the ram's horn, the yovel, it's, also, it's not just a shofar, an equivalent expression is yovel, which again was in our Torah portion this week. It's not just a ram's horn, but it proclaims the jubilee year. So he says the long blast with the yovel, and when you hear, does it say when you see it, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. Now, shouting is associated with the Feast of Trumpets in the seventh month. But here at Passover, they're doing exactly that. Whereas in the seventh month, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Seventh month. But right here in the first month, at the time of Passover, Joshua is about to conquer Jericho, and it's going to be with the sound of the Yovel that is blown in the seventh month for the Shemitah and the Jubilee. He's about to take down these walls with a shout and the sound of a Yovel. 
There was nothing to see here, folks. The people of Jericho could have been sitting on the, the walls the whole time that the Israelites are walking around. There is nothing to see. They're just walking, just walking. There is something to be heard. What's the greatest commandment? Here, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And he says, the wall of the city shall fall down flat. And here's, here's the strange language. The people shall ascend up, every man, straight before him. Now, is that not strange? Is this not the Feast of Trumpets plopped right down in the middle of unleavened bread? Talk about shortening the days. Unless those days for the elect's sake that the days are short. And it doesn't say it's for anybody else's sake. What if the elect are prepared at Passover? And what if for the sake of the elect, there will be a yovel, a shofar, a trumpet blast. They will hear this trumpet blast during the days of unleavened bread. All the people shall shout with a great shout. And all the city, all of a sudden, Everything that has stood between us and our inheritance in the land just falls down flat. And all the people who shouted with the great shout at Passover ascend up, every man, straight before him. In other words, you're already in position when you hear the sound. Not signs to be observed with the eye, but a sign that you will observe with your ear. That's why Yeshua said, don't go out running around looking for me. Listen for me. Listen, keep the appointed times, know your hours and see what may have been the seventh hour for some people. It's possible. I'm not saying it is, but it's possible for the elect, for those who are not, they, they don't have their feet in two camps. They're not lukewarm. They're not rebellious and unrepentant. They're all in. What if he shortens the days for them? And during the days of unleavened bread, they will be brought in, at least into a preliminary existence with Yeshua. Now, what will they be doing between Passover and the Feast of Trumpets? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> I don't know. We're not there yet. Yeshua knows. But Yeshua is telling us, be ready. You be ready at all hours. You be ready at every hour that he has rehearsed you. You be alert. Don't make light of any feast. So many times Shavuot is made light of when actually that's the pretty important one. We don't quite know what to do with Shavuot, but Shavuot's a biggie. Because, see, the, the Passover is not sealed up. Because, see, it's connected. Shavuot is connected to Passover with the counting of the days. The count, it's called the counting of the Omer. So your Passover is technically not done until the, the first fruits of the wheat. Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, where you renew your covenant and you stand there at Mount Sinai as a nation and say, we will do and we will hear. We will do what? We will hear. We will here, we will observe that sign. And if you tell us to do it, we're going to do it. So the, there's an understanding here within the Jewish tradition that says you, you kind of go into this door of obedience at the Passover. When you observe the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread, you're going to count your seven perfect sevens of days or seven, and your seven perfect weeks. And then you're going to arrive at Mount Sinai. You're going to remove, you're going to renew that covenant. You're going to affirm that covenant. And they say, this is when the elect are sealed. They're actually sealed up at Shavuot, not over here at the Feast of Trumpets. It's, it's a done deal for the elect way before then. In fact, it's, it's sealing up what has happened between Passover and Shavuot. And so the elect are sealed at that time. Now, can they afford not to be alert at the Feast of Trumpets? No, he's not saying that either. But typically it's understood that it's those who are lukewarm that really have to get on the ball when it's the Feast of Trumpets, because this is the, the appointed time for there to be a, 
a literal resurrection of the body? Is there some preliminary state at Passover where perhaps you're like the Israelites in the wilderness? You're in a semi-supernatural state where you're clothes don't wear out, your shoes don't wear out, you're walking in a cloud of glory, your enemies can't see you unless you get rebellious and complainy and whiny and, you know, all that, you know, getting cryified with Moses and complaining about the food and the leadership and, you know, all the stuff we complain about. Um, You know, we we get into the clouds sometimes and we just think it's going to be all peace, love and casseroles. And then we find out it's manna and it's not exactly what we expected. But if we can keep our mouth shut and keep rejoicing with a great shout and say, Daye knew it would have been enough. It would have been enough. If he just brought me here, it would have been enough. Daye knew. Every step he takes you, you say, Daye knew. If he had only brought me this far, Daye knew. If he had only given me this, Daye knew. And if you do that every day, you're going to count your seven perfect weeks. You're going to affirm the covenant at Mount Sinai. And he can seal you over. And at this point, apparently, you're in pretty good shape as you await the seventh month and the Feast of Trumpets, because that's the time when your your body will be renewed, where the, the dead will awaken. And it says those of us who are alive and remain, what does that mean? Um, <clears throat> it says we will not prevent those who are asleep. In other words, we won't go before those who have already fallen asleep in Yeshua. Because at that point, see, they're already dead. Uh, They're already asleep. But we who are alive and remain apparently still have a a physical body. And in order to resurrect, you actually have to die. You, You can't get revived or resurrected if you're not dead. And so it may be that just in the twinkling of an eye, we'll have to be, you know, dead so that he can resurrect us in that twinkle. That might be why it's, you know, they're an instant ahead of us. And like, oh, I got to die. Sure. You know, (laughs) make it quick, you know, but imagine this. What if somehow, if you were on the alert at Passover, you stayed on the alert until Shavuot, he sealed you over and you enter this special place a special realm. Maybe it's right where you've always been, but there's a special ceiling and protection around you and you're held over. Um, I believe at this point, and don't, you know, write it down and sign my name to it. I just, me thinking, I think at this point from the barley, first fruits of the barley at Passover until the first fruits of the wheat at Shavuot, I believe it's going to be a time where he's gathering sheaves. I really do. I think Yeshua will be gathering his sheaves at that time, just like we studied with the with the sharp sickle. And that as he's, you know, pulling these sheaves, remember the sheaves are set apart and tied off while they're still in the ground, if you'll remember right. They're tied together, and it's like arbitrarily, not arbitrarily, probably with some purpose. You know, we've we've grouped ourselves with certain people and he says, okay, I'm not going to take, you know, one barley stock from here and then one barley stock from here and just kind of throw them together. I think you're already forming the sheaves right now, the people who are part of your spiritual family right now. I believe he will bind you together These are the little flocks that the rabbis talk about. And so when Yeshua comes to harvest, he's not going to harvest you individually. He's going to take your whole sheaf that's been tied together, your your little people group, and harvest you as a group because apparently you have something to do together. And it's something that only that group can accomplish. You know, and this is why it's so important to to recognize the gifts within the body and make sure that we stay balanced. Because as that sheaf is is harvested, you want to make sure you have the widest variety of gifts available. Because we don't know exactly what we'll be doing from that time, from Shavuot, until our bodies are resurrected at the Feast of Trumpets. Right. So again, the first hour and the seventh hour, or the seventh hour and the first hour. Um, 
It says in Psalm 7, 47, 3 through 8, it says, he subdues people under us and nations under our feet. And typically, of course, this is associated with the Feast of Trumpets, this particular psalm, Psalm 47, uh, because it says, uh, God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Well, all of this is associated with the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Sukkot is the, the Feast of the Nations, right? Well, we're going to hear the shout and the trumpet at the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah. So from Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets, until Sukkot, you have this right here, this resurrection, the shout, the trumpet, uh, finally subduing the nations, not just under his feet, it says under our feet, because right now the nations have their feet on us. And if you think the world stinks right now, it's because the beast has stinky feet. Clay, iron, we've got stinky feet on top of us. We are ruled by wicked people. We are ruled by beasts. But when Yeshua returns, he is going to smash the clay and iron feet of Rome, Edom, the last beast kingdom. Uh, might call him the red one, the red beast in Revelation. He will destroy that kingdom. And then he will set up an everlasting kingdom. And at that point, the, the iron and clay feet on the image of the beast smashed. And then it's going to be the feet of Yeshua. The feet of Yeshua are going to sit down on the Mount of Olives. And then he says, I'm also going to subdue them under your feet. Why? Because it says God is ascended with a shout, with the sound of the trumpet. He's going to rule over the nations. He's going to sit on his holy throne. It's going to be a restoration of the garden. He is going to be on the throne. He will decide what law is. He will rule. And any other kingdom will have to be subject to him. And he says, uh, he chooses our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Now, just as an aside, hasn't really got anything to do with anything right now. But understand when you read that in scripture, that it says, you know, somebody was hated. Like in the Torah, it says, if you've got, you know, uh, two wives, one who's loved and one who's hated, like uh, Rachel and Leah. It doesn't mean Leah was literally hated with the emotion we associate with it in the Western world. It simply means in a lot of contexts, the person was loved less than, you know, the love of the heart. We, we kind of, there's a cultural weight to this and also a, a biblically contextual weight. And so we have to know what we're dealing with. Is somebody literally emotionally despised and hated? Or is this someone who has been weighted, not really hated the way we think of it? This person is ranked here in terms, but this person here, Jacob, Esau, uh, Rachel, Leah, right? But they're both loved, right? It, they're his creation. He loves his creation, but it's a, it's a spiritual lesson. It's a spiritual principle that he's teaching when he talks about, you know, I, Esau, I have hated in Malachi 1.3. We know that there is a restoration uh, of Esau at the end of days, but the better part of Esau, uh, not the beast part of Esau that we see now, that we're subdued under now. Uh, at any rate, those feet are smashed, and you know the Holy One is going to sit upon the throne. If you think of the Battle of Gideon and his three hundred against the Midianites, um, this again is in the setting of the days of unleavened bread of the Passover. And what happens? They are given shofars and they're given torches to put into these clay vessels. And when the attack at the beginning of the second watch of the night, that might be a hint. 
Yeshua is trying to tell us the second or the third watch of the night. Well, Gideon's 300 attacked at the beginning of the second watch of the night. They sound their shofars. And remember, they added something extra. You know, Gideon basically said, do this for the Lord. Shout, this is for the Lord when you attack. Blow your shofars and say, this is for the Lord. And um, and what they added, I might have this backward, the Lord and for Gideon is what they said. For the Lord and for Gideon. Kind of adding that second, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So it was like, for the Lord and for Gideon, they added something as if something prophetic had come upon them. And so they shatter these clay vessels, just like the clay feet of Rome are going to be destroyed, and they're going to be replaced by the lights, the great lights. You know, they had torches inside those clay vessels. And so the, the light will prevail over these vessels of clay that will be shattered at that time. So that, that's a, we can put that on our list of possibilities. When will Yeshua come? Well, at an hour, we think not that much, he says. So we don't want to, again, put our signature to anything. But on our list of possibilities, if that's a pattern, then it could happen at the beginning of the second watch of the night. It could happen, you know, just about midnight on Passover or just about midnight during the days of unleavened bread. Something significant could happen. A battle could begin. And, um, you know, we definitely want to be counted among those on the side of Gideon on that day. Because if we're on Gideon's side, we're on Adonai's side too. Now, here's another example of an hour, right? And this is to the, the assembly at Sardis in Revelation 3.3. Sardis means red ones, red ones. Who's the red one? Isa. Isa. Remember, he says, I'm going to restore the pride of Jacob, whom I have loved, the inheritance of Jacob. What is the inheritance? It's the Garden of Eden. It hovers right above the land of Israel. And so Jacob, who has been loved, will receive that inheritance. And so you can see the contrast here. When Yeshua is warning Sardis, he's warning the red ones. He's warning Edom. He's warning Esau. He's warning the beast, those who have bought into the system of the beast. And because this is the fifth assembly, it corresponds to the Feast of Trumpets, also called Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Uh, it's actually the, uh, the head of the change. There is a change, that's a transformation that will happen to our bodies at Rosh Hashanah. Hashanah means a change, too. It doesn't just mean a year. So scripture, the Torah, calls this day the turn of the year or the going out of the year. So there is a, a turning and a going out, a change of something that will occur on the Feast of Trumpets. And therefore, this is a warning to the Red Ones. To those who are still bought into the beast system, the red beast, he says, remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Remember, this is supposed to be for the lukewarm. Yeshua didn't write these memos to people who didn't know what to do. They're believers. All seven of these assemblies, they're believers. This is not just you know a bunch of idol, idol worshipers, pagan, whatever. These are people who know Yeshua. Wow. And so he says, remember what you have received and heard. The Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, it's called a Feast of Remembrance. Remembrance. Remember what you have received and what? Heard. Heard. Hear, O Israel. Not with signs to be seen with the eyes, but to be heard. He says, keep it. Keep what? Keep the feast and repent. Because if you're still in trouble at this point, it's because you didn't repent way back here at Passover. 
It's because you didn't repent way back there at Shavuot. You weren't sealed over. It's There's still a big question mark because you didn't want to repent. You wanted to keep doing what you were doing. Apparently, you thought Yeshua was kidding. You fell asleep spiritually. So he says, then if you are not alert. What was Yeshua preaching about? Be alert. Don't go to sleep. Keep the Passover. Keep Shavuot. And do it with spiritual alacrity. Be alert. And he uses the same words here. I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. So what is an hour? A literal hour? Could be. A month? Could be. An appointed time? Could be. But you know every one of them. You may not know exactly whether he's coming in the first month or whether he's coming at Shavuot or whether he's coming in the seventh month. But you do know. You do know. Because remember, you're a believer. You have the instructions. He's saying, don't be a red one. Don't be Sardis. Don't be part of the beast system of Rome. And it's not one system. It's one image, but it's multiple systems. It can be government, politics, medicine, sports. I'm trying to think. I can't think right now. But you just keep filling in the blanks. If it's an organization, later down the line, as we go through this information, we're going to look at why the beast has the body of a leopard. The fourth beast that Daniel saw had the body of a leopard. Why? Because it says the leopard can't change its spots. Those spots have a significance to help us understand the organizations and the systems that the beast will use to put you to sleep. And once he puts you to sleep, you will not know at what hour he will come. So if any of these systems were engaged in, whether we're engaged in sports, whether we're engaged in government and politics and you know, uh, medical systems, any system we might lean on and say, I am secure there. You're not being alert. Those are human systems and they can't promise you safety and security. They can't promise you peace and safety because if you believe these systems of the beast, and it doesn't mean they're not doing some good things, they are, that's the allure. You have to know at, at what point you say, I can use this system, but it's not going to use me. I will never deviate from the word of God. If the system tries to lure me into that, if the organization at the club tries to lure me into that, that's where my path breaks off. I have to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sorry, O king, if you're trying to make me pay my taxes, I have to do that. If you're trying to tell me how fast I can drive on the interstate, I have to do that. But if you try to dictate to me something that the word says I can or can't do, do, the, do what you have to do. Go ahead. Because my God is able to save me. But if he doesn't, I'm certainly not going to give you my soul too. Why should I give you more than my body to kill? I'm not going to give you my soul to kill. So Yeshua says, stay alert. Repent. If, if somehow you fell asleep, you slept through Passover, you slept through the, the seven sevens of perfection, you slept through Shavuot, you didn't hear the shofar in the month of Elul, and now all of a sudden the seventh month is upon you and you still haven't repented, he says, it's time. You better remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Because if you don't, you're not going to see this coming. You didn't see it coming at Passover. You didn't see it coming at Shavuot. And so you're certainly probably not going to wake up for this. Right? And so there, there is a 10-day period between Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, and Yom HaKippurim that is thought to be for the intermediates. Now, we all say in that 10-day period, we all greet one another, you know, may your name be inscribed and sealed in the book of life for a sweet year. But for the elect, and see, we don't know who, we don't, 
we don't get a badge at Shavuot and says, you know, you're good to go. You get a little star, uh, you know, you're, or you get a little bracelet or something that says you're going to be able to get in the gate. He doesn't do that. Right. So we're walking around. We all want to repent. We all want to keep looking for things that might interfere with the process of perfection that the spirit is trying to work in us. So we just assume we're not sealed up. We should behave like we're sealed up, but we should not assume that we're sealed up because there might be one thing that he wants to deal with us with before he resurrects us. There might be one thing that might make a huge difference in eternity in terms of the responsibilities that he can give us and the joy that we might have. There might be an additional joy just waiting for you forever if you could just deal with this one thing and give it to him. So he says, don't be lukewarm at this point. Don't be one of those intermediates, because really, this is what this season is for, is for them to make up their minds. But truly, the elect, it's thought they were sealed over at Shavuot. They, they entered into a stage of perfecting. And so from that stage until the Feast of Trumpets, just like they did their perfecting from Passover to Shavuot, apparently there's still some things that will occur in the cloud. But when they are resurrected at Rosh Hashanah, there's not going to be any doubt. They're not going to be really running around for 10 days wondering if they're really sealed up. Like I say, you're humble. You still behave as though, "Mm, let me keep looking. Let me keep looking. But when the gates close at the conclusion of Yom Kippur, if you were still lukewarm, if you have still not repented, you thought you could kind of walk with Yeshua and then just kind of walk in your own ways and walk with the world and, you know, lean on the systems of the beast. Any of those systems, if you're leaning on them, they will break. They will pierce you in the hand, the prophet says. And now you have to go and you have to read the message to the assembly of Laodicea, which is the seventh assembly. And that seventh assembly, he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, you're vomit. You just turned to vomit. You didn't know the hour. And now here you are. And I think the writer to the Hebrews might have been talking about this this very paradigm. If we look at Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 21, And then I added on verse 23 here, just so you could see this traditional idea of how the the perfection of the elect or the saints or the righteous, the tzedekim, how that does actually occur earlier at Shabuot than later, which is last call at the Feast of Trumpets. So he says, for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. You hear the sound? Again, you have your your Yobel, you have your trumpet at Passover with, with Yeshua, Yehoshua, at Jericho. You have the shofar again at Mount Sinai, which is what the writer to the Hebrews is referring to here. The blast of a trumpet, the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. They said, we will do and we will hear. But then they couldn't take it. It was killing them. I mean, seriously, the rabbis say it was literally killing them and he was having to resurrect them because the sound of the words. They saw the words, but it was the sound was such that they couldn't stand the sound. It was not the sight of the words. It was the sound of the words. So when you hear that shout, what is it other than the word of God? And if you can't bear to listen to the word of God, if it is so terrifying to you because you really don't have any intention of changing your ways, or maybe you do have an intention of changing your ways, just not, don't take that from me. I'll do everything. Just not that. Don't, don't make me change that. Oh, there's one thing right here. Just let me keep that to myself. Okay. No. He says, not that. Give me everything. Give me everything at Shavuot, and I'll be faithful to you. He says, they could not cope with the command if even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. 
What's an animal? It's a beast. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. See, the sight got in the way. It was a terror. You had to hear it. You have to hear the word. It means you have to do it. And even Moses says, wow, I'm terrified and trembling here because they're seeing the words. They're having to deal with the words. He says, but you, if you've come to know Yeshua, you have come to Mount Sion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly. The cognate in Hebrew there for general assembly is moed. It's the feast days. Those who celebrate the feasts in Jerusalem, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. You have come to the general assembly. You have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. He says, and the church, the kahal of the firstborn who are enrolled, or katab, in heaven. They're what? Enrolled? They are written. They're written in heaven. That's what we say. You're sealed in heaven at Shavuot, which is the context of what the writer is talking about. You've come to the mountain. You've come to Shavuot. You have said, we will do and we will hear. And so you have come to the Moedim. You have come to the Kahal of the firstborn. And your name is inscribed, it's written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous, the tzaddikim in Hebrew, made perfect. Made perfect. Made perfect. When? Shavuot. They were written down at Shavuot because they trusted him to make them perfect. It's a terrifying word. You look into the Torah, you hear the sound of the Torah, it is terrifying because you think there's no way. If not even an animal can touch it, and I know I still got some animal in me. I know I do. (laughs) But you know what? With the power of the Holy Spirit, he will continue to perfect you and perfect you and perfect you and perfect you. You come to the feast. You come to the Moedim. You come to the assembly of the firstborn, not for the plague of the firstborn, but for the resurrection of the firstborn who are inscribed, who are written in heaven. And he is the judge of all. When will he judge? He will judge in the seventh month. On the Feast of Trumpets, all the nations pass before him. They pass under the shepherd's rod, is what it says. All the nations. They pass under the shepherd's rod at the Feast of Trumpets. He is the judge of all, and he has written your name. He has assembled you. He has gathered you. He has protected you from the plague, and he will judge you and resurrect you and add you to the spirits of the king made perfect. Not through their own righteousness, not through their own goodness, but through the righteousness and the goodness of Yeshua. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.